So I know we just gave you like a pretty tough question of the day. It could have been tough or it could have been fun. Uh, if you're like me, there's a million unanswered questions. And I want you to know that the Bible is weird. It's very strange. In fact, last night I was, uh, I was getting text messages from somebody who was here. There was a, um, a high school dance, an Irondale dance here. And I don't know what it was for. Like, it seemed like there was probably 50, 60 uh, kids here dancing on the dance floor over here. And there was like streamers and the whole thing. And one of the, one of the teachers uh, who I'm friends with was texting me pictures and saying, this is the most awkward thing you've ever seen. Uh, you know, and it made me start to think about how strange middle school and high school dances were. And started to think about how weird I was and how weird everyone else seemed and how awkward things were. I don't know if you have memories like this. Maybe you were the coolest kid and you walked into that dance and you owned the place and you got your choice of whoever you wanted to, to, to dance with. I was, uh, remember dressing up to try to look like 90s rappers. <laughs> yes, that happened. And, and doing weird dances that I thought like I had one move, you know, which was like to cross your feet and spin and... That was all I had. That was all I had. I just stayed in that like zone and just kind of tried to look cool. And the whole time just being absolutely terrified. I think it was the weirdest experience ever. It was very strange. Um, and I was just thinking about that last night as that was happening in this community center. How cool is it that we meet in a place that the community is here almost every single night before we come here on Sunday morning? We sometimes come into a building that's like not ready for us. And that's okay with us because we're walking into a place that's being used by our community and when we say, hey, we meet here, they know this place. They've been here before. They've had weird, strange events here before. They've had birthdays. They've had weddings. They've had dances. How cool is that, right? We don't meet in a church building somewhere where no one's ever been and try to explain to them where that is and try to get them to come to that. They've already been here. They know this place. So it's a little bit easier to invite people and have people. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But as I was thinking about how strange that could be or that those memories were for me, um, it was kind of fitting with what we're talking about today because... Um, I want to put kind of a bow on what we've been talking about, how not to read the Bible. And next week, again, we're going to start a new sermon uh, series. But I wanted to start with just by saying, like, the Bible is strange. There's a lot of weird stuff in it. There's a lot of questions that you might have that, you know, maybe the answers that you have aren't sufficient for, you know, you explaining to somebody else or you having conversation. And I think a lot of Christians kind of turn their brain off and they say, like, I don't know the answer to this question, but it's okay because I sign on the dotted line and, you know, w- with Jesus, and I'm just not even going to really think about this thing or deal with this thing that seems to be a bit of a problem for me. I'm just not going to wander into this conversation. I don't really want to know why the God of the Old Testament seems different than Jesus. I don't really want to know why there's violence all over Scripture. I don't really want to know some of these more difficult passages to understand, to process. And when people have questions about them, I'm just going to shy away from trying to help them understand it or, or wade into it. And that's not really how we're called to, to deal with Scripture. And I hope over this series you kind of learn that. Like if you lean into Scripture and if you kind of work your way into, uh, into Scripture, you'll find the answers that you're looking for. You'll find ways to understand things. And it may not always line up and satisfy you perfectly, but that's okay. At the end of the day, right, we're all in submission to Jesus and his word. And so sometimes when we have an answer that doesn't satisfy us, it just means we keep looking and keep fighting through and keep trying to understand and keep 
asking people and taking their opinion and looking at what people have said about Scripture and processing it and praying about it until we get to a place where we're okay to continue on. And, and I think most of these issues, most of these questions that you've, you've asked, they have really good answers, okay? And so I just want to review with you guys real quick some of the things that we've talked about on how to wade into some of those uh, more difficult-to-understand passages and more difficult-to-understand. First is we, we understand every verse we read in Scripture we need to read in context, right? We've, we've established this. You don't read any scripture out of context. That's where you get into trouble, right? I think there's a lot of people that have kind of missed the point on what the Bible is supposed to be and what it's designed for altogether. And in missing the point, they've, you know, started to read verses out of context to be able to make their own point, right? I think you, you miss the point on what scripture is for when you start to make your own point. When you start to proof text, you start to pull text uh, out and you start to say, this, this verse makes me feel good, so I'm going to put it on a coffee mug. Or this makes me feel good, so I'm going to crochet it on a pillow. Is, do you crochet pillows? No. Uh, needle? Needle? I don't know. You put it on a pillow, right? Or I'm going to put it on something that hangs on the wall. Or I'm going to slap this on a t-shirt or whatever. Like, and we start to make ourselves feel good with verses that we pull out of context, where if we really put them in context, they don't mean what we think they mean. We actually spent a lot of time this week uh, in a podcast talking about women in ministry, women in the Bible. And if you're interested in that, we went super uber nerdy on that. So if you want to get like real in-depth on trying to understand some of these more difficult passages on you know, how the, what the Bible has to say about women, and especially in the New Testament, uh, highly recommend. Out, it's like an hour and a half that we did, I'm pretty sure, on, on some of these verses. And we went really in-depth. If you're not into nerdy stuff, just realize that the Bible's very pro-woman and Paul's very pro-woman, okay? So that's, that's really the kind of where it ends up. And if you're okay with that, that's really the end of it. But we, we understand each verse in its context. We understand we get into problems when we start to understand verses outside of their context, or when we start to use verses outside of their context. We, we've talked about that the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you, right? You were not the original recipient of any of the Bible. Israel is the original recipient of the Old Testament, the church is mostly the recipient of the New Testament, the, the early church, the first churches, right? And then we've got like the Gospels, which are, you know, written to all believers. And all of it is for you, but almost none of it was written to you, okay? And so we, we, we process that as we're looking at difficult to understand passages. We understand that if we study these difficult passages, that if we continue to study and continue to seek and continue to understand the context and continue to fight through them, that we can get to places where we understand them better and are able to process this stuff without having to live in this, like, um, just having to accept things that don't make sense to us. Uh, we've talked about the idea that we pay attention to themes like covenants and kingdoms and reconciliation and, uh, you know, and basically all of these themes that are all throughout Scripture that we see that kind of paint this picture that fit everything into a larger story, that everything we're reading is actually about a bigger story about God. And I think a lot of times the problems we get into when we're starting to read Scripture is we're reading it for ourselves, when in reality it's really trying to teach us about who God is. It's God's story, not our story exactly, right? Because so, when we're reading the Old Testament, first it's God's story, then it's, it's the Jews' story, and then it's like it's our story down the line, like two or three generations after there's truth in each one of those, one of those pieces, and we kind of we had to make sure that we're processing all of those pieces before we get to, um, to where we're where we're understanding it. And 
And so the Bible is strange. There's a lot of stuff that's difficult to understand. There's a lot of things in it that don't always make sense. But as Christians, we're called to love this strange Bible, to study it, to allow it to change the way that we live, to pay attention to what it has to say, right? And to learn about who God is and understand his story as we study it. And that's why we generally, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about Bible study, right? We're going to generally get together to talk about it, to study it, because it's you know, not exactly the easiest thing for us to understand, because it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our time. It wasn't written you know, in a way that was speaking to us. It was written for us, but not necessarily something that we don't have to, to study. And so the Bible is strange. Let's just own it. It's okay. When people have questions about the Bible, fine. Good. When you have questions about the Bible, fine. Good. And I, I don't know. I'm at a place in my life where... Um, I'm, you know, let's see, how do I admit this without sounding terrible? Uh, oftentimes, I'm looking for remote controls that are sitting on my chest. Anyone? Uh, or glasses that are on my head, right? Or I'm looking for uh, a cell phone, you know, that I'm sitting on top of. Does uh, is, is anyone find themselves, the older they get, in this? Like, in fact, the other day, I'm like yelling at Miles about losing the remote control again. And he's like, Dad, I don't know where it is. And then he points to my chest, and it's sitting right here as I'm yelling at him for losing it, right? I think that with Scripture, a lot of us don't realize that we're sitting on top of, we have access to, it's right there for us. What we're looking for is right there for us, right? But we're intimidated by Scripture, or we're maybe... uh, it's become something that's not as important to us. I don't want to say that we're lazy, but it's become a lower priority to us. And we miss the idea that Scripture is right there for us, and it's right there, ready to teach us, ready to train us, ready to change our lives. And so this Bible is strange, yes, but we should love this strange Bible because Jesus loved his strange, his strange Bible. Right? Jesus gives us the example of what this looks like to love this Bible. And I'm not going to read you all these, these, these uh, references, but I'm going to tell you about them. Right? Jesus quoted the Bible when he was tempted in the desert in Matthew uh, chapter 4. When he was out in the desert and, and he was challenged by Satan, by the enemy, he used the Bible right, to defend himself when he was challenged, when he was tempted. Jesus read from the Bible when he started his public ministry. He walked into church, he picked up the scroll, he read from the book of Isaiah, he dropped the mic proverbially and walked out and began his ministry, right? The, the scripture was what began his, his ministry. Jesus used the Bible uh, in arguments to defend who he was in Matthew chapter 22, in Mark chapter 12 and 14, in Luke chapter 20 and 22. He often would reference the Old Testament to make his point, right, in those situations. And generally, when Jesus was making a point, It wasn't to win points, right? It was to help people understand, to teach them, right? To help them put all the pieces together. And so he used the Bible in arguments. Jesus frequently quoted scripture during his teaching. Matthew 19 and 22 are pretty good examples where Jesus would tell stories and use scripture and tie it all back together and make sure people understood it, right? Jesus frequently quoted scripture during his teaching. He used the Bible to talk about the future and about the end times, right? He would often refer to what was coming, what was going to happen, what was to be expected by, 
referencing things that had been written thousands of years before him. Right? He used it to talk about end times or to talk about the future. He quoted the Bible when he was dying on the cross. Right? One of his last breaths, he's quoting Scripture. He's connecting the dots for all of us, which is a crazy thing to, to think about. Um, Jesus taught from the Bible after he was resurrected, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, and th- th- this list is just a few of the things that Jesus lived from Scripture. He lived out of Scripture. He allowed Scripture to change who he was and to allow him to be who he was. And I think we've missed that idea. In fact, the Jews, what's interesting is we would give the Pharisees a really hard time for how they applied Scripture, right? The Pharisees generally got it wrong because they were all thinking about rules and regulations and trying to keep people within this like controlling environment of them behaving and acting a certain way, looking a certain way, following these, these certain customs, and they had 600 rules that they were trying to follow. And it was this very you know, regimented and rigid way of doing, of doing life. And we would say, man, those Pharisees, they missed it. They didn't understand grace. They didn't understand any of this. But you know, those Pharisees, what they did, they memorized large portions of Scripture. In fact, most Jewish people at that time who had gone through schooling, who had gotten themselves to sort of secondary education, had memorized the first five books of the Bible almost completely. Jesus for sure would have been able to quote you large sections of Scripture very, very easily. And while we give them a hard time for being dogmatic and being rules-based and missing the point, missing the point of what all this was for, we often do that, and we often say they didn't understand grace, but often we do that knowing almost none of our Bible ourselves. We often do that without having actually internalized Scripture at all. We basically have come to church our entire life, We've taken the rules that we picked up from the church community around us, and we've started to live as though that were true, and I don't think we could tie that back to Scripture or understand what that's built on or understand a basic... If we did a basic theology exam, I think it would be quite funny to see what the results would be. Like, I'm not sure that we, even though we understand grace and we understand Jesus, if we've really studied Scripture the way that Jesus studied it and the way that he honored it, Jesus loved his strange Bible. And so as we kind of process all this stuff, that's kind of a review of where we've been. As we process all this stuff, I want to just focus in today and help you understand that all of the Bible is about Jesus. I think the most appealing thing uh, to being a Christian nowadays is Christ. I think when we talk about a lot of the trappings of being a Christian, that's a pretty big turnoff to a lot of people but still Jesus seems to be very interesting to the world around us, to the culture around us. And when we really focus in on the idea that to know Jesus is to understand and process and study and work through this Bible, right? That's a motivation, I think, that leads us in the right direction. So I want to jump to John chapter 5, and I want to kind of just put this really quickly into context for you. This is Jesus speaking, and he's having a conversation with Pharisees, and this is like happens all the time in his ministry, right? He's, he's done something terrible. He's healed a person on the Sabbath. He's supposed to be, you know, taking a nap and he's supposed to be taking it easy. And he finds a person who's been, you know, afflicted with the disease for their entire life. And he has compassion on them. And he says, yeah, oh, let's just heal this guy right now. Let's go for it. And heals this person. Now, you could ask the question whether he did this to pick a fight with them or not. 
Sometimes he does pick a fight with them. Sometimes he's just, he's just overwhelmed with compassion and just moves to heal the person. And this situation doesn't exactly tell us what his purpose is, but he uses it to teach them something. So he heals this person, and they're all like, how dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? Like, what? We've missed the point of what the Sabbath is for when we start questioning whether we should heal somebody on the Sabbath, right? Like, they're missing, they're missing the point. This is like the ultimate example of somebody missing the point of what all the Bible is about, okay? And so Jesus, after he's sort of talked through this with them, he teaches them this, right? He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. So he says, hey, John came before me, and he kind of set the, the path straight, right? The Bible said that John would come first, and then Jesus would come so he says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, literally today, the very works that I'm doing, like healing this guy, testify that the Father has sent me. He's like, you don't have to question whether I am who I say I am because I just healed the guy. He's right here. Ask Todd, right? Ask Todd how his life is going right now. He started this morning. He was afflicted with disease, and now he's healed completely. What are we talking about? This is the Lord who created the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath for us to be able to rest. He put it on on display, gave us an example of what it looked like. In general, Jesus explained to us what the Sabbath was for and what the point of it was. And he says, but you know, there is like this whole idea that like I'm the one who created it and I can break the rule if I want. Like we can put aside rest when it means that we can heal this person, right? So he says, and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. What's he talking about? Where did the Father testify about him? In the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, in the Bible that they had. At that time, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament, right? And so he's saying, hey, the Father has already talked about me in the Old Testament. He says, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. He kind of like lays it on them. You guys are missing the point you don't understand what this is all about. You think it's about behavior. You think it's about performance. You think it's about 600 rules and doing all the right stuff. And you're missing the idea that this is actually about a relationship with God, a God who talked about me before, sent me to show you what he looks like. And here I am standing right in front of you, able to heal somebody right here in front of you, and you still can't accept me. And we're like, oh, that's terrible. Yet that's us, guys. Jesus is standing right in front of us and saying, hey, here I am right in front of you. You have the entire written word. Tells the whole story. It's right there in front of you. You want to know about who God is? He's testified about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? He's explained. Jesus puts out the entire story. So now we can understand exactly who he is. And yet we don't believe in the one he sent. And look what he says in uh, chapter 5, verse 39, which is, this should... This should hit you like a ton of bricks. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. These scriptures testify about me. The whole point of all this is me. Is it right now? Is me fulfilling what God said would happen and me putting out a new way and me creating a new a new way for you, that it was always about Jesus. And he says, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And when we start to realize that, it should change the way that we look at Scripture, right? 
it goes away from let me figure out exactly what the rules are to how I'm supposed to live to let me understand who God is and let me understand who Jesus is by studying this Bible, which testifies to him. It's all about him. Okay, I think sometimes we miss the idea that he's in every page of the Bible. Every breath of the Bible, every beat of the Bible, every, every piece of Scripture is testifying and talking about who Jesus is. It's laying out the case that we now can see all the, the entire picture of. In their situation, they couldn't see the whole picture. The whole picture was forming in front of them. It was like, you know, looking at one of those like posters where everything's all wonky, and then you kind of like stare at it, and all of a sudden a sailboat comes out of it, right? Nope, just me. Okay. Like, they're seeing it materialize in front of them. We have the whole entire picture of all of Scripture, and yet we put it aside... And we opt to have this relationship with this God who doesn't exist. We create this God in our own image, right? We jump through the hoops of keeping the people in our community happy or thinking that everything's fine, when in reality, we're not in God's word. We're not studying anything about who he is. We're not in relationship with him. We're not in prayer. We're not moving forward in our relationship with him at all. And I want to be somewhat careful because I don't want to judge your relationship with Jesus, but I want to challenge you. Because like, I do think that there's this weird thing that happens in church, and I know this happened in youth group a lot when I was a youth pastor. That's right. No matter what question you ask, there's, like one, there's one answer, one correct answer for every question, which is what? What? Okay. Yes, say it again. That, that's it. That's the one. From the youth pastor, right? Here, here we go. What, what is it? Yes. If you're like 11, 12, by the way... My son, my son in here, he's going to drive you crazy with this, by the way. Uh, the correct answer to every question asked in youth group is read the Bible and pray more. Right? Well, what should we do? Read the Bible and pray more. Like, how do you get to know Jesus better? Read the Bible and pray more. Like, this is like the question that would drive me the most crazy as a youth pastor, because I would know students are not engaging with the idea that we're talking about when they would answer that question, but technically they're right. So I just want to say, technically, it's correct to say that as a Christian, right, the way that we get to know Jesus better is to read the Bible and pray more. That's technically correct. But just like everything that Jesus points out, the reason that we're doing it is the most important piece of it. And as adults, we could add on go to church. We could add on show up at your small group. We could add on a bunch of other things that our community would have expectations around. But none of those things would matter if we weren't doing them for the right reasons, if we weren't in a relationship with Jesus, if it wasn't expounding what we know about Jesus, if it wasn't pushing us closer to Jesus, if it wasn't changing who we are because of Jesus. All of these things are the reasons that we would do these things. And Jesus says to them, to these Pharisees who are missing the point completely, he says to them, you, you study scriptures and you expect them to save you and that's not, that's not what saves you. All the scriptures testify to me. It's actually about me. The Old Testament talks about me coming. In the New Testament, I fulfill the covenant that we made, and now I create a new one for the rest of humanity. Like, it's all about me. Uh, look at Luke 24. Here's some more of Jesus' own words. Jesus, after he died and was resurrected, he showed himself to many people over a 40-day period. Like, there was a, a lot of Jesus sightings after that. To actually, hundreds or thousands of people saw Jesus after he died and was resurrected. Um, 
And one of those examples is in Luke chapter 24. There's this crazy, like, obviously crazy thing that's happened in the, in the city. And Jesus has died and been resurrected. And his body is missing and everyone's talking about it. And so there's these two guys. They're walking to this, this village. It's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And they're just kind of processing everything. They've been close with the disciples. They've seen what's happened. They're trying to process it all and figure it all out. And Jesus kind of secretly enters into the conversation with them, right? He kind of joins along the way with them and tries to, like, join the conversation with, without them knowing. This would be, like, a, the best, like, ninja move ever if you were, like, a parent trying to eavesdrop on your kids, like, conversations or, like, teenager conversations. Like, to just be able to enter into it, you know, it's going to be weird if you try to act like a teenager. But if you could just enter into it without them seeing you and just listen to what they have to say, it would... It would give you that ninja quality as a parent, right? So here's what he says. He says, Now the same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know how. I don't know why. It's so cool. Here's a question I have about Scripture. When they're writing this, why don't they give me more details about what this looked like? Like, what was he wearing? What did his face look like? Did he look like somebody else? Was like wearing a mask? Was it like Mission Impossible? And he just pulled it off? Like, my brain goes to a million places. He asked them, what are you guys discussing as you walk along? They stood, their faces downcast. They're like, are you serious, bro? You don't know what's going on? Everybody's talking about it. Everybody in Jerusalem's talking about this. Everybody's talking. Like, this is the big thing that's going on right now. What are you talking about? One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He's powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Like, they're downcast, meaning they didn't believe that what had happened was really what Jesus had said would happen. They think something else happened. They're upset because they think somebody stole Jesus' body or there's some sort of like trickery going on here. They're not like putting all the pieces together. So he said to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Like just process that for a second. Jesus challenges their faith and says, hey, you guys have missed the whole point and all of it, all the stuff that you memorized, all the stuff that you've studied your whole life was actually all about me. There's going to definitely be difficult things in scripture that we're not always going to be able to put, put together. But if we get bogged down in just focusing on all of these unsolved mysteries that we can't quite put our, put our, wrap our mind around, it's not that we should stop studying them, we shouldn't stop seeking answers to them, but we have to focus on what this thing is actually all about, and it's about Jesus. When we get into conversations with other people, and they want to derail the conversation, and they want to take it to, hey, tell me why the God of the Old Testament is such a terrible God who you know, destroyed all of these people. Take it back to Jesus. 
It's always all about Jesus. I had this conversation one time, uh, this very smart uh, uh, college student who said, you know, I just, I have a hard time uh, processing that God is good and that I would ever want to serve this God of the Bible because, you know, like in the story of Noah, he just like kills everybody. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. It, It really doesn't fit well into our kids' Bibles, by the way, like that, like, there should be, you know, people paint nurseries with Noah themes. And there should be, like, claw marks on the outside of, like, the ark. Like, there should be, like, people just with anguish screaming, like, in the corner, drowning in the water. Right? Like, when you really process some of the stuff that you see in the Old Testament, you really process it, right? Like, it's really tough to, like, wrap your head around this. Like, what is actually going on here? And I remember having this conversation with him, and I said, I said, well, do you know how long Noah built his ark? And the guy was like, well, no, does that matter? And I was like, well, you know, Noah built that ark for like 120 years. People walked by him every single day, and there was a way for them to join in on what God was doing, to understand what God was doing with Noah and to help him build the ark and to be part of the the group of people that would have been Saved definitely didn't need to just be the one family. It could have been anybody who would have been willing to see what God was doing and join in with what And For 120 years, it basically says that all these people were just absolutely brutal to one another and that finally they got the judgment that they, they deserved. How long do you have before you can accept Jesus? I mean, if you live to 120, you, you did pretty good, man. Like, I've eaten way too much bacon. It's probably too early for that joke. Probably not a great one right now. 120 years. God was merciful before he judged. And he made a way. The ark door was open. There there was a way. There was one way to be saved. Guess what? The ark's about Jesus. I remember having this conversation and just like the mind sort of opening up for this person because they weren't really asking about the specifics of Noah. In fact, I don't even think this person believed that Noah existed. That would have been a whole other conversation about whether or not every single one of these things literally happened exactly the way that it says in Scripture. That would be another great conversation to be had. But to bring it back to Jesus is the point of all of this. right? The God of the Old Testament is the same God who talked about and told us about Jesus in every single story and elements and picture in the Old Testament. What is happening out there? Yeah, they're doing something. It's fun. See, I told you, there's a lot of kids. So, what is going on right now? I literally, I literally don't know. All right. Some of our Sunday school teachers are just very methodical method teachers. They want to go all the way. So. Bye, guys. And so Jesus finds his way into this conversation and breaks it down with him and says, listen, I'm going to start with Moses and all the prophets, and I'm going to explain to you in all the scriptures where you see me 
in all these Old Testament passages and all these stories and all these images and all these themes and all this stuff that's going on in the Old Testament, it's always all about Jesus. We read it now and we see Jesus is in every page, on, in every single uh, book, in every chapter. He's on every page. It's all about him. I can imagine what that might have like been like. I, I, if, if I got a chance to like go back and take any seminar, that's the one I want. I want to hear Jesus for just a couple hours, just off his dome, just talking about the Old Testament and where you see what God was up to through the entire thing, that it was one cohesive idea and thought and plan. That yeah, there's stuff we can get bogged down with, but we have to keep coming back to the idea that this was all about Christ, right? From beginning to end, it's all about Christ. And I can, I can prove the point. Because I think even your table of contents is about Jesus. You're like, where are you going with this, Mark? <laughs> just, just for a second, just give me a minute. This is going to take a minute. But if you open up the table of contents, right, and you just look at the chronological order of the books, and I completely stole this, by the way, so... And you imagine Jesus talking about and expounding on Scripture with those guys walking towards Emmaus, what that might have looked like. I think it might have looked like this. In Genesis, I was the Word of God creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, I was the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of your heart so that you could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, I was the temple, the holy place where you met with God. In Numbers, I was your ever-present guide, your pillar of cloud by day and your pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I was a prophet coming who was greater than Moses. In Joshua, I was the conquering warrior leading you to the promised land. In Judges, I was the broken Savior rising up to rescue you. In Ruth, I was the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, I was the pure-hearted shepherd king who rushed out to face your giants all alone. In First and Second Kings, I was the righteous ruler in First and Second Chronicles. I was the restorer of the kingdom in Ezra. I was a faithful scribe in Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls in Esther. I was your advocate, risking my life to restore you to royalty in Job. I was your living redeemer in the Psalms. I was the one who hears your cries in Proverbs. I, was, I am wisdom personified in Ecclesiastes. I am the meaning that lets you escape the madness in the Song of Solomon. I am your lover and your bridegroom. In Isaiah, I was the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, I am the spirit that writes God's law on your hearts. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the ever faithful husband pursuing my unfaithful bride. In Joel, I was the restorer of all that the locusts had eaten. In Amos, I was your, bear, your burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, the prophet cast out into the storm so that you could be brought in. In Micah, the everlasting ruler brought to us in Bethlehem. In Nahum, the, the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, your reason to rejoice even when our fields are empty. In Zephaniah, I am 
the great reformer, and Haggai, the cleansing fountain, and Zechariah, the pierced son, whom every eye on earth will one day behold, and Malachi, the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And I know the Bible doesn't stop there. Jesus didn't continue to go on. But in the New Testament, we would say, in Matthew, he was the king of the Jews. In Mark, he was the son of God. In Luke, he was a savior born to us in the city of David, Christ the Lord. In John, he was the word become flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he is Christ, the risen Lord, proclaiming salvation to the nations. In Romans, he's a justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, the spirit at work in the churches. In Galatians, he is the righteousness imputed on us by faith. In Ephesians, our righteous armor. In Philippians, the God who meets our every need. In Colossians, the firstborn among all creation. In First and Second Thessalonians, He's descending from heaven with a shout, coming to meet us together in the clouds. In First and Second Timothy, the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, our faithful pastor. In Philemon, our redeemer, restoring us to service. In Hebrews, our great high priest. In James, the life at work in our faith. In First and Second Peter, our living cornerstone. In First, Second, and Third John, our advocate, pleading his righteousness in our place. In Jude, he's God, our Savior, the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us blameless the presence of great joy and in revelation he's the alpha and omega the beginning and the end the lamb slain before the foundation of the world the king of kings and the lord of lords it is all it is all all of it every word every single chapter every page it is all about jesus we can get bogged down and we can miss the point we can get bogged down in all the difficult to understand passages and we can argue over those and we can fight those are fine. We can study those things and we can talk them through, but we can't miss the point. We can't miss the point that God has called us to something, that this is all about Jesus and what he wants to do through us and in us. He wants us to be transformed by this word that speaks about who he is from beginning to end. That even the parts that we think aren't really about Jesus, they are. Even the parts that we think we don't really understand and we can't really process, it's God teaching us something about who he is and who Jesus is so we can be transformed. It's okay for us to focus on and try to understand and try to study, but we have to allow the word to be part of our lives and to transform us as we understand this is always all about Jesus. It's all pointing us back to Jesus. When we get into these conversations with our friends and our family and people who are you know, asking an a, a honest question for an honest purpose, we need to give an answer and then we need to turn the conversation back to what the whole Bible is about. Back to the idea that Jesus has come and that his gospel is for them. That he loves them and wants to have a relationship with them and invites them into a relationship because of that gospel. And I feel like as we process, I want to make sure we end on the big idea here is that all of Scripture... All of it is about, is about Jesus. Let me, let me pray to close our time here this morning. God, thank you for giving us this very strange library collection of books that you were revealing yourself to us since the foundations of the world that we have the history, the, uh, the poetry, the, the pieces of 
of what you want us to know, all wrapped up into this library of books, God, and that you have given us this to reveal who you are and to point us towards your Son. God, would we read Scripture, and as we read it and process it and study it, would you just help us to understand that this is all pointing back to you? This is all pointing back to Jesus. This is all pushing us in a direction of understanding that we can have a relationship with you, that we can know Jesus ourselves, that our lives can be changed and transformed by this very strange Bible you've given us. Help us to own that, to be okay with not knowing every answer to every question, but to continue to seek and, and study and process and ask questions and do it in community. God, would you help us to not be the kind of community that shies away from difficult questions, but also the kind of community that always puts the focus back on Jesus. I pray that as people come into this place, that they would see that this is a place that values your word very highly, but also values this relationship that we can have with you and this transformation that's available to us as believers. God, would you use each one of us individually in the mission that you have for us, and would you then allow that to change the world through this church, all of us acting uh, in this mission that you've given us as a church? God, I thank you that you intervened, that you made a way, that you changed the course of our lives and of this world. And would you help us to seek after you the way that Jesus showed us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.